You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. Welcome to episode 86 of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. As always, I am coming to you from the Gulf Coast of Pensacola, Florida. First of all, I'd like to wish all of you listeners out there a very happy new year. It's crazy to think that 2015 is already coming to an end. It's been a great year for me, both personally and with this podcast, and hopefully it's been a great year for you as well. I've had the opportunity this year to interview so many great people, uh, football players, voice actors, filmmakers, artists, authors, so many great people, and I thank all of you who took the time out of your schedule to talk with me about your career, your life, and thank you to the listeners, because without you, there would be no podcast, there would be no Derek Diamond experience, so hopefully you guys have had as much fun hearing these interviews as I've had conducting them, and again, thank you very much, it means more than you will ever know. And speaking of great guests, I have another great one to close out 2015, and this is going to be part one of a two-part interview that I did with a former comic book writer named Roland Mann. And I met Roland a few months ago uh, because of this podcast. He had heard an episode that I did with Stephen Butler and Barry Gregory, both whom he's known for years. After hearing that episode, he reached out to me asking if he could come on the podcast. And it was a really fun conversation. Uh, In this episode, you'll be hearing about his career in the comic book industry, how he met both Barry and Steven, and we just talk nerd pop culture stuff in general. We talk about, you know, the success that Marvel's been having with their Netflix shows and their movies. Uh, We talk about great ones like Captain America, Winter Soldier, ones that aren't so great like Spider-Man 3. It's just a really fun, nerd-filled conversation, and hopefully you guys will enjoy it. But before we get to that interview, I have a quick question for you. Are you looking for new original music? If so, you should check out Atomics, the brand new EP from my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, featuring the vocals of Joey Trincali. It has three new tracks, including their single Tomorrow's Plan, which is also the theme song of this very podcast. This EP is unlike anything the Unicorn Wranglers have done before, so support local music by checking out Atomics, which is available now on iTunes and Spotify. And it's only two ninety seven. You can't beat that price. That's cheaper than Taco Bell food. So get on iTunes, get on Spotify, and buy Atomics. And you can also keep up with the Unicorn Wranglers on social media. Like them on Facebook and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Wranglers. And finally, don't forget to visit their website, theunicornwranglers.com. And without further ado, here is part one of my conversation with Roland Mann. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience. Joined along with my very special guest this week, a writer of comics and literature, Mr. Roland Mann. Roland, welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience. Thank you so much. I'm real happy to be here. How's how's everything going? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Staying busy. Uh, you know, I teach teach is what uh, pays the bills, so uh, they keep me busy. But I, I have the coolest teaching class, though. Now, what do you teach? I actually teach students how to write comic books. That is fantastic. <laughs> it, it is. It makes me wish it's, I was still in college. I, if you had told me 
you know, even five years ago that I would be teaching a, a, a class as part of a creative writing program. So I'm just one class in the program of about 28, uh, 28 classes for the degree. But, uh, and of course, you know, that like the class before me, they learn screenwriting. The class after me, they teach, they, uh, they learn game writing. Well, I am the comic book class. And, and, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to do that. It's a fun class. How long have you been teaching that class? Since 2013, I think. Okay, so like two years. Yeah. On that fact. Yeah, that, that was, that's awesome. I mean, I, if you had told me, you know, 10 years ago that there would be a class for writing comic books, I would say, where do I sign? Where do I sign up for that class? Because it's, and plus, you know, like where, where you teach is one of, one of the coolest schools in the world with so many great classes. And I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm actually very envious of that. I, I'm envious of people <laughs> who can write. Well, it really is geek university. I, I tell I tell folks that all the time when they ask me about it, it and you know our three our three big creative writing is not one of the bigger programs there. Uh, our three big programs are, um, you know, film. Uh, then we have uh, recording arts, and then uh, game design. So mm-hmm. the, those are the three big programs. Most of our students are there to you know learn how to make films, make games, or or you know um, learn how to uh, work in a, a soundstage kind of thing. So we're we're kind of uh, you know we're one of the oh you're the, you're one of those you know the other programs, but uh, yeah I, I just I consider myself very fortunate because I am surrounded by a, a lot of geeks here at the school. Uh, many of them uh, you know it's not the kind of you know you, you walk in the class and they're very accepting of the idea that okay we're here to, to learn how to write comic books. It's interesting that you say that you're surrounded by by geeks because in previous conversations I've had with people who are, you know, older than I am, that when they were kids, they would get made fun of or beat up at school because they liked Spider-Man or Batman or some other type of comic book. But now the cool thing to be is a nerd. It very much is, yeah. Well, I was I was one of those. I, I, I didn't get beat up that much. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a bigger kind of guy, so I was never... I was never beat up, but I was I was certainly made uh, made a lot of fun of, and and I was a guy that you know you watch these these uh, old movies from the seventies eighties and and you know you see the kid in the back of the the classroom holding his book up with the comic book you know in front of that was me I mean I, I, I you know I was in class but I was you know actually reading you know a Spider Man or the Avengers or something like that uh, so yeah it was it was it was uh, pretty regularly that that uh, I got poked fun at why are you reading those comic books man. <laughs> But yeah, my son now talks about how, you know, I mean, in his school, so many people wear superhero shirts. Heck, I remember when I was like a junior or senior in high school, I couldn't find superhero shirts, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I wanted them. I wanted to wear them, but you couldn't find them. And now they're everywhere. It's the same thing with video games to me because I was a huge gamer growing up. And I was big into Nintendo, like the Mario games, the Zelda games, but mm-hmm. you, could, you could never find any merchandise anywhere like i used to subscribe to the nintendo power magazine and every quarter they would release a merchandise catalog but you had to have stamps that you mail in to exchange for the merchandise like you could get a mario hat or some type of t-shirt and now you go into a walmart and you see a mario shirt and i'm like i'm like where where were these things when i was a kid and it's it's the same it's the same thing with you know comic books too and i mean i think I think we can think really Star Wars for really kind of 
opening that as far as like geekdom being accepted because i've talked with i don't know if you're a star wars fan but um that movie really kind of is ingrained in pop culture it is so i think that's that was really the stepping stone to uh nerd culture i guess being accepted on a more wide basis yeah, I think so. I think it was certainly the first step. Uh, I mean, I, I I enjoy Star Wars. I'm not a, I'm not a Star Wars nerd. I don't have all the the action figures and things like that. But I, I do like Star Wars. Uh, I think we obviously we own the, the movies, the DVDs, and things like that. But uh, um, I, I think it was I think because Star Wars is the only film I have ever seen multiple times in the theater. Uh, I saw it nine times as a kid. Wow, that's how. Um, yeah, that's what. That's how big a deal it was. Is that know? just the original? Yeah, the original. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the original. Um, I, I don't. I don't think I saw any of the others more than once at the theater. Um, of course, I've seen some of the the more recent superhero movies twice. Uh, you know, I'll go see it, and, and like for instance, like the Avengers, I'll go see it, and I'm just go like, wow, 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 throughout the whole thing. And then I'll go back again and say, okay, now let me really watch the movie this time. You know, the first time I was wowed, uh, let me actually see what was going on. So, yeah, movies like that, you really have to watch them multiple times to digest everything that goes on. Yeah. So, as far as the the superhero movies go, what are some of your favorites? Well, um, for me, I, I guess if I give you my two, uh, I'll give you three. Um, the Avengers. I, I'm an Avengers fan. Uh, have been since you know about 1974. Uh, the Vision and, and and I'm one of the very few who lo- who likes Age of Ultron better than the the original. Uh, and the reason for me purely is because the Vision is in the Age of Ultron, and and the Vision was my always my all time favorite Avenger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to see him come to life in uh, in the movie for me was pretty was pretty awesome. And, and not only that, not only him coming to life, but they treated him very fairly. Uh, I, it wasn't the kind of thing that when I was done, I was like, oh, that's not the vision. They didn't do that right. It's like, no, okay, I get that they – it's not exactly the, the same as the comic book, but they were really true to the spirit, uh, the spirit of the character. So the Avengers uh, is, is probably at the top of my list. I think Captain America Winter Soldier was just yes. a, a fantastic movie. Something that I love about that movie, and I tell – multiple people this you could remove all the marvel aspects from it and it would still be a very good yes. like, spy espionage thriller type movie yep yep i agree uh and then i think uh, rounding up my, my my top three would have to be um the original spider-man movie mm-hmm. uh when I, I when i say the original i mean the original toby Maguire spider-man yeah um because I, I think that there's so much good in that and they were they were they were true to the spirit. You know, yeah, we can argue about, well, his web was bio, you know, biological. No, I didn't like that. I thought that was, you know, I thought that was terrible. But I thought the whole spirit of the character was, uh, was spot on that, that, you know, I, I thought that was, I thought that was really well done. And Spider-Man has always been one of my, certainly one of my top, you know, favorite uh, superheroes. So yeah, same here. That movie was huge when it came out because I remember it was less than a year after 9-11 Mm-hmm. And I remember we had just gotten a brand new movie theater here in Pensacola when that came out. And my uh, uncle got me out of school early that day. I was, I think, a, let's see, I came out in 2002, so I was a sophomore in high school. So he got me out of school early, and we went to go see 
the movie and the theater was packed. We were at like the, <laughs> the, the top corner of the of the room and it got a standing ovation when it was over. Wow. So it, it was and you know growing up, you know reading the Spider-Man comics and watching the TV series cuz I, I love that 90s cartoon that was on Fox every day. Oh yeah. And that that to me is still one of the best animated comic book shows of all time and just yep. seeing you know, my favorite character in live action was just, it, it was phenomenal. I mean, the, and the second one was really good, too, with uh, Doc Ock. Oh, Alfred yeah. Molina playing Doc yeah. Ock. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, now we won't even talk about the third one, but yeah, the second one was very good. There was a third one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that answer. <laughs> uh, I, I will say funny story about that. That was the first ever midnight premiere I went to. Oh, really? What's that movie? And when oh. I walked out, I'm like, oh, that was so bad. <laughs> so you, you have to start questioning yourself. Is it because this is midnight this is so bad, right? <laughs> yeah, and then I watched it again, and I'm like, yeah, this this was yeah. not very good. Yeah, it's so unfortunate because, you know, either, either of those villains had such – I mean, Sandman. And, uh, oh, I forget the guy who played him. Uh, Thomas Hayden Church. Yes. I mean, oh, what a perfect dude to play Sandman. Mm -hmm. He could he could have made the entire film just the Sandman. And... I don't know if the stories are true, but I heard that Sam Raimi was basically forced to put Venom in the movie. I've heard the same thing, and I, I don't know whether it's true either. Um, but that, that whole – the whole Venom thing just – it felt so out of place. It did. Well, you know, Venom and then Hobgoblin, and yeah, it's just way too much happening. And you know, any one, any single one of those things could have been interesting, you know, by themselves in the film. I I had said back then that he should have gotten the symbiote suit around the beginning or middle of the movie. He gets rid of it at the end, and then Eddie Brock gets it, turns into Venom, and that's your cliffhanger for the next movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you could have done a Soul Venom movie. Yeah, with him yeah, as the that, villain. Yeah, that would have been nice. So, were were you a uh, you know talking more about comic books? Were you more of a Marvel fan growing up than you were DC? I was. Yeah, I, I um, you know I started reading in the seventies, uh, and I had tried to read some some Mar some uh, DCs back then. Um, obviously, it's Marvel that 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 got my attention. List stands with Cap with Captain America and Spider Man, the Avengers. Um, those were my first. Those, those are the first titles I read. But I tried to pick up some Batman and some Superman, and, and the problem I had with them then was that um, there were so many worlds. You know, there was Batman on this world and Batman on that world, and, and there was, uh, you know, all these different – and I couldn't understand. You know, I mean, I was coming into the game late, right? They, I mean, Superman had been around since, you know, World War II, and, and uh, I just didn't understand it all. And it was all confusing, I, and I couldn't – I didn't know the difference between one and the other. So I just didn't. I just didn't really read any of them. Now there there are some exceptions, of course. Um, I read Teen Titans, mm -hmm. um, which was you know good good stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I read. Um, gee, I can't think of any other titles I read before that. But now I, I started. So yes, primarily in in my uh, my younger days, I was all pretty much exclusively more. I was a Marvel zombie. Uh, it wasn't until Crisis. Uh, and I was in college when this happened. It wasn't until Crisis, uh, you know, in 1986, that I said, okay, they're going to take all these worlds and they're going to crush them into one, and we're going to have one world, one continuity. You know, I can understand that. I'm going to jump on. And I bought 
like everything they did from that point, you know, on. I'm like, okay, now's the time when I'm going to come on. Um, and so I did. I jumped on with with Crisis and, and bought a lot of DC books from that point forward. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying about the the multiverse with DC, and I, I don't know if you've ever watched the Flash show that's on CW right now, but uh, they're kind of going down that road where they've revealed that there's an Earth two and there's you know, multiple Earths because villains from Earth 2 are coming over to Earth 1 to try to kill mm-hmm. the Flash. And I, I just hope that it doesn't get too confusing. Oh, me too. That, that, I think that would be the worst thing they could do. Because I could see a lot of people be like, oh, well, what what universe is this guy from? Oh, right. universe 22? Okay. And yeah. it, it's... But hopefully, you know, I mean, the the show has been really good, so hopefully it... it it's it's it on my... It, yeah, it's on my queue to watch. We've watched... Um, two seasons of, of the arrow and really like that. Um, and you know, I think flash is already part of one of the episodes there. So it's queued up for us to watch. Um, yeah, I'll tell you something else looks good that, that DC's doing in, in this whole CW universe is uh, legends of tomorrow. Have you seen the trailer for that? Yes. Yeah. yeah it looks good. Yeah. They're building up to it in both flash and arrow. Cause I think legends of tomorrow will premiere in January. Okay. So yeah, they're, they're already, kind of teasing the the team up of all those characters and then i guess they'll you know launch into their own show but you know it, it's crazy because uh there's so much superhero content that's out right now like do you do you think that you know with all these marvel movies coming out with the dc shows and the dc movies are about to come out with batman versus superman and then you'll have wonder woman aquaman justice league do you think that it's getting a little too oversaturated? You know, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, about uh, Comic Con fatigue, um, and I don't know um, because you know Comic Cons are everywhere. Yes. You know, you you guys got a pretty good one out here in, in Pensacola now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, you can you don't have to go that far to find a decent Comic Con now. I mean, obviously San Diego is still the the grandfather of all. But I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know that we've reached a point for for superhero fatigue in, in, in film yet. I mean, obviously they're still making them, um, so there's got to be, you know, there's got to be a demand for it. That you know, I mean, you know as well as I do, they wouldn't make it if there wasn't if they weren't anticipating return on their on their investment. So, um, you know, I don't know. I, I think that uh, my, my thoughts are kind of this. As long as they treat the properties with respect, and, and you probably know where I'm going here, as long as they treat the properties with respect, we're going to get good content. And I think as long as we're getting good content, then then you know moviegoers, television watchers are going to say, okay, you know that was good. It's superheroes. It's not what I usually watch, but it had a good story. Um, and you know, as a comic book reader, we do the same thing. It's like I, I will read a comic book when you give me a good story. Uh, the, the, it's the fact that they wear spandex and have superpowers is an, an added bonus. Uh, I mean, obviously, we want to see them use their superpowers, but I need a good story to keep me going from issue to issue to issue. So, you know, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm the eternal optimist. So, I am optimistic that this is going to happen because, I mean, I absolutely love Daredevil. Um, oh man, just this show was wow. so good. And I, I I loved Daredevil. What's funny is the Ben Affleck movie actually that's what introduced me to the Daredevil character. Yeah. And, th- and then from there I went and read uh, Guardian Devil that Kevin Smith wrote. I've read mm-hmm. the majority of 
Mark Wade's run, which has been fantastic. Cool. And when they announced that they were doing the the Daredevil Netflix show, I said this is the perfect route to go yeah. because you can. The thing with movies compared to all these Netflix shows now is with a movie, you only have two hours to build up a character. Right. With the Netflix shows, you have 13, 14 hours, depending on how many episodes you have. But well, you, and you get to see bits and pieces of his origin throughout the show. And same thing with, you know, with Kingpin. I thought uh, Vincent D'Onofrio was phenomenal yes, as me a Kingpin. Too. Well, and I think the other thing that, that works with the, the, the TV shows, we, we watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. And um, while I didn't really like the first season that well, I thought the second season, I mean, I stuck with it long enough, obviously, to watch the second season. Uh, I thought the second season picked, picked up quite a bit when they you know they started teasing the Inhumans and that kind of thing. I, I think the thing that the, the television, why television works so much is it's very, it's episodic. Yes. Uh, which is what we, you know, comic book readers, we're accustomed to in comics. We we like the episodic, um, you know, storytelling format, you know, and so we get that with with television when they can do a season. You know, we get basically it's a it's a thirteen issue story arc. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right because you just you have more time to invest in these characters, learn more about them, care about them. It's just, and I can't wait to see uh, Jessica Jones because the trailer looks really intense. And I, I'm a big David Tennant fan. He's my favorite Doctor. Oh yeah, from Doctor Who. So yeah, yep. you know anything with him, I'm I'm definitely gonna watch. Well, I, I hesitate to say it, but uh, and I know this is almost blasphemy in some geek circles, but I, I'm I am one of the few that's just not a Doctor Who fan. Really. Yeah, I know. No, I mean it's it took me it took me forever to to jump on board because I, I tried to watch two episodes of the Christopher Eccleston season and I'm like this is you know, this is garbage. <laughs> yeah. But then once I got more into it, then you know I I, I enjoyed it. I mean I yeah. wouldn't say I'm you know a huge Doctor Who fan, but I I, I do enjoy watching it. Yeah. But you know any anything that has Marvel's name on it, you're at least going to give it a shot, it seems like, because, and a lot of people were talking about this with Ant-Man when it came out. They're like, Ant-Man is going to be Marvel's first bust. And I'm like, I really don't think so. Nope, and then I... Ant-Man ended up being really good. Yes, very good. Very good. Uh, it was, um, you know, it was one of those that I was kind of like, okay, we've had so many really good movies, you know, with the Avengers and Captain America. It's like, Iron Man, it's like, okay, you're right, you know, I'm going to go see Ant-Man anyway, but I'm not anticipating, you know, all the problems that they had with Edgar, um, you know, with Edgar, Edgar Wright, Wright. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, well, this one just may not be up to up to the other standards, but I'm going to go see it, and then, you know, we watched it, and I'm like, wow, this was really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Paul Rudd fan. And see, I, I didn't know him before Ant-Man. Really? Yep. Now he's he's been in some uh, he's been in a lot of comedies he's been more of a comedic actor but I, I figured with Scott Lang's personality that he would be a good fit for that character and I I can't picture anybody else now playing him no, right no I'm with you yeah it was very good now uh, going back to your uh, your career in comics what was it that made you want to get into the comic book industry was was it just you reading as a kid and you're like this is what i want to do or you know what exactly was it 
Yeah, I mean that's pretty much it. I, I, I was not a reader when I was uh, when I was a little kid. I was I was you know I was one of these that you know when I was in you know first and second third grade, you stick a book in front of me and I, I'm like, can I go outside now? You know, I just I wanted to go outside and play. I spent all my time outside playing. You know, I played army through dirt clods, climb trees. Um, I was just you know I would much rather be outside, and um, I reached the point where you know I kind of began to get behind some of the other readers, the other, my, the other, you know, students. And my mom began to, I, I, the good mom that she is began to really worry and began to seek, you know, seek things to get me interested, but I just didn't want to read. Um, and one day standing in the grocery store and you know how, you know how kids are. Uh, I see this comic book in the checkout line and there's this cool looking character on there. I'd never seen all red, white, and blue. And I'm like, Mom, I want this. Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? You know, you know, again, like kids. And and so she, you know, she picked it up and looked at it. She says, "I'll buy it for you on one condition." I'm like, "Anything, Mom? Or whatever you say." She says, "You have to read it." Oh, of course, of course, I'll read it, right? And it was an issue of the Avengers, and I read it, you know, front to back, and I was like, "Wow!" And I read it again, and I read it again, and it was continued. And I'm like, Mom, I gotta have the next issue. <laughs> She's like, What do you mean? I'm like, It's the story's not finished. I have to. I don't. I need to know what happens. And that, that's all it took. And she began to then just kind of feed me the comics, and they're always under the condition that I had to read them. Um, and of course, one of the things that happened is that, you know, comic books are a, a, a cousin to science fiction. Mm-hmm. And they begin to talk about these things in the comics, you know, you know, mention things like H.G. Wells and Ray Bradbury, and I'm like, I don't know what this is. I want to, I want to know because if you know, if Spider-Man and Mister Fantastic and these are talking about this, I want to know what it is. So I discovered, you know, H.G. Uh, Wells and Ray Bradbury through through comics, and that's how I got my introduction into science fiction. And I just like, wow, this stuff is really good, you know, the first Men in the Moon and and. Uh, uh, you know, War of the Worlds and things like that. And so I just, I got, you know, I got hooked. And when I got into high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I, I had started doing my own comics about fifth, when I was in about fifth grade. So a couple of years, you know, I've been reading a couple of years. And I liked the comic books so much, they made such a big, you know, uh, an impact on me that I just drew my own, you know, I was terrible, but I just, you know, I just told my own stories. Now I was using, you know, uh, mostly, um, the the Avengers and stuff like that, but it reached a point in time where about the sixth grade or seventh grade that I created my own characters. It was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to make my own characters. Now, if you look back at them, obviously you can see, oh, well, this you're just, you know, you're just copying this character here, or this is just a copy of this character, <laughs> you know. And you can see that. But um, it was in sixth grade that I actually met one of your uh, other earlier guests, Barry Gregory. Oh, really? Yep. Uh, and, and Barry and I, I, I moved from um, uh, the Memphis area down to Jackson, Mississippi, Brandon, Mississippi, and uh, Barry was one of my classmates and discovered that, again, this was the time when the, you know we kind of hid hid it, but I somehow discovered, and I think, oh, I know what it was. I, I had a, uh, a, a superhero notebook, so you know I had covers of like the Avengers and Captain America, and Barry saw it, and, and we began to talk and come to find out he read comics. And uh, so this kind of, you know, started our friendship, and, and we actually did our own little – and I found out he was also drawing comics, his own comics with his own characters like I was. And uh, we began to actually do our own things, and we actually had our our, our two comic books had a crossover. Um, 
Yeah, you know, so uh, that's so cool. I, yeah, it is very cool, and and Barry would probably cringe to know that uh, that that I'm admitting this publicly anywhere. But I still have copies of those. Uh, that's good though. Yeah, it's good to keep for you know sentimental reasons. <laughs> oh, absolutely, and and um, you know a couple of those characters have survived, although you know changed somewhat, uh, 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 of course. Um, but when I got into high school, you know. Um, I, you know, this is when I kind of, you kind of have to start thinking, what am I going to do? Well, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And, and I really didn't know. I mean, I, in Mississippi, what are your options? I didn't, you know, I didn't really want to move to New York, uh, which is where you, at the time you kind of had to go to be, uh, to work for Marvel. Um, I didn't really know how to write. I come from a long family of farmers. Um, I didn't really know how to write in the sense of, you know, okay, I've written a story. Now what do I do with it? Uh, I just didn't know, and there was no one really to tell me. <clears throat> but when I was a senior, I had a very, very uh, encouraging uh, creative writing teacher in high school. It was just one of those electives that, that you take. And, you know, I, I was writing stories, the kind of stories that I always liked, and she was incredibly encouraging. She's like, you really ought to pursue this. She says, you know, you're a very good writer, blah, blah, blah. Now, whether she was just saying that, you know, uh, because she was being nice, I don't know, but it made an impact on me. And the problem was I spent my first two and a half years in computer science because I, I you know, again, I, I didn't know what to do. My dad, when I, my dad said, you know, dad, or I said, dad, I want to be a writer. He says, well, how are you going to make your money? I, I just said, I don't know. I had no idea, dad. And so uh, I spent two and a half years in computer science uh, because, you know, the computers were, this was, you know, the eighties and computers were still, you know, kind of uh, in the, the, the early stages and, oh, well, I could go do this. But what happened is I got to to, to uh, classes like Fortran and Pascal, and it's like it required a lot of math, and I'm just not very good at math. <clears throat> and so after two and a half years, I finally decided, okay, well – and now I should say during that two and a half years, I was still reading comics. I was still writing them myself. I was still you know, I was still doing the writing because it's what I enjoyed doing. And then it was after that point in time, I said, okay, this is what I really like to do. I don't know how I'm going to get paid. But this is what I want to do. So I changed my degree to creative, to creative writing. Um, and it was uh, at that point in time in college then, um, I met Stephen Butler. Mm -hmm. uh, he and I, and, and it was a, kind of a freak way the way that we met. He had this big painting on his wall. And I'm like, wow, who's that? I don't know who this is, you know. And he, he, he did an original, one of his original characters on this great big, I don't know, like four, five foot by about uh, four foot wide, something like that. And it was a character that I, you know, obviously I didn't know because he created it. And at the time, I was like, oh, yeah, I know most of the comics printed, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, I did. I, I was well read. And he said, oh, it's, you know, one of my characters. I'm like, oh, you drew this? He's like, yeah. I'm like, wow. And I said, so are you interested in comics? He said, yeah, I want to draw them. I said, well, I want to write them. And so just right there immediately, we just, uh, the very next week, I sat down with him. He had a, a, a um, a sweet mate, uh, Southern Mississippi, uh, all the, the dorm rooms had suites, and one of his sweet mates was Mitch Bird. Um, so we just all got together and created a, a comic book, and and very fortunate that by the time I graduated, we had found a house for it, and um, the rest, as they say, is, is kind of history. So I was I was very I was very fortunate in the timing of that. That essentially, once I graduated college, there was a little bit of time. Obviously, I worked at uh, um, a bookland as an assistant manager while I was kind of getting things going, but I was selling work at this time, just not enough to pay my bills. 
Right. Um, and and uh, so yeah, I was very fortunate. Right out of college, I was I was working with uh, two incredibly you know uh, talented artists like Mitch Bird and Stephen Butler. So I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for some of those meetings. Oh man, I'm telling you, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I still I still remember standing there looking at it. And the weird thing is, I still have that painting because uh, uh, Stephen, when we when we, actually. After I graduated, we graduated about the same time. We moved into a house together, and Stephen was my roommate for about a year and a half. Um, while we, again, while we were, you know, we were making our break into the industry, um, and he ended up giving me that painting, and so I still have it. And I've, I said, you know, hey man, I've got this painting. You, you know, it's your character. You want it back? Oh, uh, you can hang on to it for a while. I think he just didn't have any wall space to put it. <laughs> so. Uh, that that's awesome. Now, how how did you initially get into the comic book industry? I mean, you said you met you know Stephen Butler, Mitch Bird. Yeah. When when did you actually start working in the comic book industry? Well, part of part of what uh, part of what bonded Stephen and I together is that um, once we started talking about you know this is what we wanted to do. Um, we started sort of commiserating a little bit, and it's like, yeah, you know, I've got all these rejection letters from Marvel and and DC. He's like, oh, me too, man. So we started swapping notes about all the rejection letters that we were getting, and and then we were looking at some of the work that was being published. And we're like, you know, I'm as good as this guy right here, and I'm as good as this guy. And, and you know, middle late '80s was was kind of a it was a good time for independent comics because we had First, we had Kamiko, we had several other comics, uh, several other companies, not a lot, but several companies at the time that were, were doing some pretty good stuff. And so we just said, you know, why don't we do our own thing and see what we can do? So we put together, uh, we put together our series and sent it out, sent photocopies out to all the distributors. We said, hey, look, here's a comic book we want to do. You want to do it? And we got orders back. And we're like, okay, now what do we do? Uh, because we just, you know, we just didn't know. It's like we got our comic book made. Now what do we do? And so we started saying, okay, well now we we got to go print like five thousand because we got orders for about uh, forty four hundred something like that, right? And so we're like, okay, so now we got to print them up and we got to sh- ship them out. Well, crap, four thousand copies. I don't have five thousand bucks laying around. Do you? Well, you know, none of us had the money. So we went to the bank. We went to the bank. We said, "Hey, look, we need some money because we, you know, we, we we solicited this this comic book and we've got it made right here and we've got these orders, but we have to print it, in, you know, in order to get the orders. We could not get a loan in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, to print our comic book in order to sell it. Wow. And, yeah. And to this day, I wish that I had been smarter because I, I think that I think that if I had known more about money and finances and and loans and stuff like that. I think I could have searched around to find somebody that would said, "Yeah, you know, uh, this is you know, you're gonna have to sign the rights over to me or something like that while we do it." Um, I, there's, there, there's, I know, I just feel that there's something that, that could have been there. So, so anyway, what we did is we, we we took our orders and we photocopied them along with all the the work that we had done on the books. And you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about you know, I had a stack of papers about two inches thick. And I just sent them around to a lot of the independent comics. We sent them to First. We sent them to Kamiko. We sent them to, to Dark Horse because um, Dark Horse was born in, I think, about 86. Um, so we just sent them all around. And um, we first snatched up Steven. <laughs> first, <laughs> first called us and said, you know, hey, we see your comics and, uh, yeah, that's all fine and good, but we want to hire Steven. <laughs> so, so they hired Steven to do, uh, to do Badger. Um, 
Kamiko and um, and uh, Airstill are the ones who ultimately liked Cat and Mouse, and they're like, okay, um, we we heard some shady things from some people about Kamiko, so we opted to go for um, we opted to go with uh, with Airstill, which was uh, ultimately uh, bought out by Malibu as part of their their big you know Malibu began this big umbrella. Um, they owned Airstill, Adventure, and Eternity. Um, once we discovered that, I, I really fought hard to be an Eternity book. I said, I, I really want, you know, Cat and Mouse ought to be an Eternity book, not an Airstill book. Um, but anyway, so um, we signed a contract with uh, Airstill for, um, I can't remember how many issues it was initially. I want to say eight issues uh, of Cat and Mouse. Um, they did really well. Uh, and so they signed. Uh, so we signed another eight-issue contract with them. But because of that, uh, we all began to get other work as well. I, I began to get other freelance uh, writing gigs. I know Mitch got some other work as a result of it. Um, and it was, you know, it was one of those things is that we had the cat and mouse was just the right place, the right time. Uh, and when I picked up the phone to call them, they would answer, and I would say, "Hey, you know, I need some more work." And they would say, "Okay, well, let us see what we can find." Or, or they would say, "Hey, we're looking for this kind of project. Why don't you pitch us?" Um, and so it opened more doors for me, and, and um, that's kind of how I, I was able to then quit the bookstore because I was then, you know, slowly over time began to generate. Obviously, you know, as an assistant manager at a bookstore, I didn't make a whole lot of money. Right. And, but my, my plan all along was okay, as soon as I make the same amount of money as a freelance writer as I am making as a, a, a bookstore assistant manager, I'll quit. Right. Right. Even though yeah. even though it cut my it, it, it in reality, it cut my earnings in half because I had the bookstore earnings and the and the freelance writing earnings. Right. But I just always said, as soon as I get to that point where I, I'm, I'm making the same amount, I'm going to quit the bookstore and then focus solely on writing. Um, and so that's what I did about a year ish after graduation. Um, and I, I graduated in, in 1988. So. Now, now, one thing I did want to ask you about one of the specific books that you've written on whenever I was doing my prep for the interview, uh, Cat and Mouse, what exactly is that book about? Because I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sound offensive or anything, but I'd actually never heard of the book until I was reading uh, you know, some of your work that you've done. But it sounds interesting. Yeah, Cat and Mouse is a, is, um, it's a story of a couple of thieves uh, turned Robin Hood, essentially. Um it's set in New Orleans, uh, and, and the, two, the two primary characters, Cat and Mouse, uh, the, the male character, he's an ex-cop. The female character is an ex-con. Um, she was a, a criminal that he put in jail. When she gets out, she, um, she's after revenge. She begins to follow him around and discovers that he is actually um, already doing some cat burglary kind of stuff. He's stealing from the underworld there in uh, New Orleans. And so she wants a part of it. And she, she, her, her ideas of revenge, you know, disappear. And she's like, look, I want a part of this. I'm good at this. This is what I do, except for, you know, that you caught me and put me in jail. Uh, and so they began, uh, basically a war on the, the Yakuza and the mafia in New Orleans. That sounds really cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm very proud to say that for about half of the run, um, we were in the top ten black and whites, uh, as uh, listed wow. by Com- Comic Shop News. Um, the highest we ever, the highest we ever made it was uh, number four on the ranking. So uh, that's awesome. We, yeah, we were rocking it there for a while. It was actually optioned by Hollywood, um, so uh, it, it 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 went nowhere. 
but it was optioned by uh, Trilogy Entertainment. Uh, they developed uh, a treatment, and they did a lot of stuff. Uh, they did a lot of really terrible stuff to it. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that you know. This is before comics were being treated with respect, right? And it's one of those things that I look at and I go, you know, I, I really, I'm of mixed opinions. I don't know whether I wanted it, you know, to get made. Now, I mean, now it's like I don't know whether I would have preferred it to get made, or I'm glad that it didn't get made, because if it had gotten made, it would have been terrible. But if it had gotten made, would that have led you know led me to other potential Hollywood things? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, it's one of those things that you'd have to kind of weigh the pros and cons. Yeah, of the well, situation. I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. Okay, so Cat and Mouse is set in New Orleans, and and I know you're you're in Pensacola. I know you've been over to New Orleans a time or two. Yes. So one of the things that they did um, is they they created they basically turned Cat and Mouse into Batman. Okay. Um, they made uh, they made Cat a rich philanthropist uh, who has all of these gadgets and things. I mean, he was Batman, right? And he was in the Batcave. Um, and, and of course, um, but the, the 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 terrible thing that they did, there were underground caverns all over New Orleans. New Orleans is below sea level. Yes. Why do you think? And this is what I even told them this. I said, so wait a minute. Wait, wait. Why do you think there are no graveyards in? in new orleans and that they're all mausoleums why do you think everybody is buried above mm -hmm. ground that's because it's underwater it's below sea level mm -hmm. all of the caskets float you cannot it's impossible to have underground caverns in new orleans do you know what their response to me was what? well this is this is fictional i'm like yes i get it's fictional but there there there's a certain uh level of of you know, willing the, the willing suspension of disbelief only goes so far, and I'm willing to suspend my belief that people will put on some costumes and go do these these really wild things, you know, and can dodge bullets that the mafia shoots and machine guns, and I'm willing to believe that. But when you tell me there are underground caverns in New Orleans, I am not willing to suspend yeah. that disbelief. I just I'm not willing to make that leap with you. And of course, they were all from Hollywood. They you know they had no idea. They well, we're going to keep it because we like it. Well, that, that's one of those situations that you you have to at least respect the real world a little bit. I mean, yeah, it's a fictional story with fictional characters, but it's – and then one of the reasons why I always liked Marvel over DC is that Marvel was set in real places. Yes. Like it was in New York City. It was in Florida, California, wherever right. the story may be. But when you're reading a story about New Orleans, you at least want it to be a little realistic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so yeah, uh, I still have copies of all that as well. Uh, it's still s sitting in a filing cabinet somewhere. I, I keep saying one of these days I'm going to scan it and and put it up, but uh, I don't know, I don't know how you know how dangerous that is <laughs> because you know <laughs> trilogy is still around and and uh, uh, so yeah, I haven't done that. Now, one story that I, I did want to bring up that we were actually talking about uh, off air. Uh, another, another former guest of mine, uh, Steve Scott, who is a comic mm -hmm. book artist, you actually gave him his first paying gig. I did. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things i got to say, because we haven't made it to that point, and I don't know whether we go that far or not, but uh, in 1992, I took a job with Malibu Comics and moved out to California to become an editor. Mm -hmm. um, and I edited a bunch of stuff, ultimately uh, becoming one of the Ultraverse editors and then becoming a Marvel editor, you know, because they purchased the company. But uh, I, I knew Steve because, you know, Steve had done a project with Barry already. Um, I, may, I may 
I may mess up the name here, but I think it was Louisiana's LaRue was the name of it, or Hur- Hurricane LaRue may have been the, the title of the book. Steve ever uh, 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 confess that one to you? No, he is not, actually. <laughs> you should ask him about that. I, I am fairly certain that that was, uh, that was Steve. So I always kind of already kind of knew who he was. Um, and he sent me some, he sent me some samples when I was an editor and I'm like, okay, yeah, let's, you know, let's get you some work. Um, and I can't remember exactly, I think it was a backup story, but, um, uh, I, one of the things that I, I, you know, I'm kind of proud of, there's a handful of guys who've gone on to professional careers that, that I can say, you know, I was a part of the, a part of getting them there. Um, a guy like, um, you know who Paul Pelletier is? Uh, the name sounds familiar. Yeah, Paul Pelletier, he just finished uh, doing like four years worth of Aquaman oh, wow. uh, for DC. And uh, Paul tells me, you know, I'm the one who got him his first paying gig. He, we did a story together. It was a, it was a spinoff from Cat and Mouse called uh, Demon's Tales. And Paul was the artist for that. And it was his first paying gig. It wasn't his first comic, but it was his first paying gig. Right. So, um, so yeah, there's a handful of, of guys like that that I kind of just go, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah. That no that's that's and it's it's just crazy cuz you know talking with you like I didn't know that story about Steve until we were talking off air and I'm like, "Huh, it's a small world." It is. It very much is. And that that's part of the thing I think uh, people have a hard time realizing about comics realizing about comics in general is that um the the industry although we think of Marvel and DC and Dark Horse and, and you know Boom and all these the industry in general is really pretty small so when something happens with this company it tends to get its way around in the industry and and I know that as an editor um, I frequently knew when 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 artists were late at other companies um, I, you know and I can't I mean just a, a wide mix of how I would know but. You know, then those guys would come to me, and I'm kind of like, oh, you know, what do I do? This is, you know, this is good art, but they're always late, and I have to, you know, part of my job as the editor is to get the books in on time, or, or, uh, you know, I mean, or, or, you know, it's my fault. I'm the one who gets in trouble. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, but the other thing you'll you'll find, I think, is that um, not only is it a, a the comic industry is a small world, but you know, you're from Pensacola, so you know, you probably know most of the put put a. Put a pin in Pensacola and just draw a, a circle, like maybe starting from New Orleans and go all the way around, maybe up to Memphis and sort of over towards Atlanta and, and kind of down, uh, maybe even over to, to Tallahassee. You probably know every every comic creator who lives in that in that circle. That's I crazy mean, to think about. Uh, I mean, would I, would you you know even if you don't know them personally, you probably go, oh yeah, I know this guy lives mm-hmm. here, and uh, I mean, would I be wrong to say that? Um, I would say no, but it's just yeah. like I said, it's, it's crazy to it's crazy to think that how small the the world really is. Yeah. When when you bring things like that up. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I actually started uh, with um, another college buddy of mine. We we tried to get a a southern fanzine going. I can't remember what we uh, called it. Uh, oh yeah, we called it Hey Y'all. Um, <laughs> and we had you know our idea was to was to. Uh, focus on southern comic fandom um, and and southern comic creators. So we had like a list of, of all the folks that we knew of at the time anyway that were located in, in southern states. Uh, we were trying to get a list of all the comic shops and things like that, um, you know, partly because it's not as bad now, but partly because, you know, I, I mean, again, I, I grew up in, in Brandon, Mississippi, which is about 10 miles outside of uh, Jackson. We we had one comic shop there, and that was in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, you know, I mean, 
the, the other closest comic shop would probably have been Memphis or New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, there just wasn't a lot of uh, uh, comic stores at the time. And so you kind of knew where the people were, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. There, there are a couple of comic stores here in town. There's uh, TBS Comics, which is right down the road from where I live. There's uh, Three Alarm Comics, which is based out of mm-hmm. Mississippi. They opened a Pensacola location. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it opened uh, sometime last summer, I think. So it's been oh, open cool. for yeah, it's been open for a pretty good while. And there yeah. there are a couple of you know really small stores uh, mixed around in the area, but yeah, we we have a few of them. Yeah. I hear a lot of good things about the, the three alarm uh, three alarm uh, owner. I know he does a lot of he's yeah a, he's a he's super a, nice guy. Yeah, big supporter uh, of comics and and the arts and and uh, um, which for me is always a it's a plus. And that's where part one of this interview ends. And we will pick up this conversation next week with part two on Thursday, January seventh. But until then, you can check out past episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. You can follow me on social media. On Facebook, just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Derek underscore Diamond. And follow the show page at DDE underscore podcast. And that's it for this week. So enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe New Year's Eve. Enjoy New Year's Day. Have a happy New Year on behalf of myself and the rest of the Nerd Cave Network. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we will see you guys back next Thursday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.